Welcome to Ojai Talk of the Town. I'm Brett Bradigan of Ojai Quarterly and Ojai Monthly. One of the great joys of Ojai life is our busy calendar of events, which has been taken from us by the pandemic. But there are a few bright spots, and few people are brighter than our next guest, Tara Saylor, who is heading up the annual Taste of Ojai, the Rotary Club's primary fundraiser, which is now in its 20th year. Tara is producing a virtual event, which takes place Sunday, October 25th at 5 p.m., and will feature a cooking demonstration with Suzanne Tract of Jar, one of LA's best restaurants, as well as live music, a live auction, short films with local restaurateurs and artisans. The $80 ticket not only supports the Rotary Club's many community scholarships and grants, but also supports our local restaurants. Check it out at tasteofohi.org. Hey, Tara. Hello. Hey, thanks for joining us. I uh, just wanted to check in. You know, um, Ojai is known for our events, and this year we're not having them. The music festival was held in kind of virtual space, completely different feel. Tennis tournament, the uh, 4th of July parade, uh, no, no Ojai Day. But one thing that is still happening is Taste of Ojai, and it's being held virtually, but it seems like you, who are organizing it for the Rotary Club of Ojai, figured out how to do this event in a very interesting way. And I thought, uh, let's check in, see what you got to tell us. Yeah, thanks, Brett. I couldn't imagine Ojai without events. Uh, being raised here, events were the thing that raised me, that brought me community and brought me in touch with the tapestry of individuals here in our town. So as the pandemic came in around March, when we were already underway to producing an in-person taste of Ojai, everybody came to me and said, well, let's just throw in the towel. Uh, we'll do it again next year. And I you know, that answer doesn't work for me. I know how I feel about coming together and I want to find a way to make this happen. So what I did is think through what is a taste of Ojai? It's an opportunity. Yeah, just so, yeah, just so you know, like the Tobo High last year was at Topa Mountain Wineries, typically been held at the Ojai Valley Inn. This is our 20th year. I believe this yep. is the 20th production and typically maybe three to 500 people get together for a little amuse boost from every single restaurant in Ojai practically. So you end up getting a full meal, but it's just a really fun kind of garden party of event feeling. And that's, uh, you know, the delicious food and the wine and seeing your, your friends and, meeting new people and we get people from Camarillo and all over, but, um, so I'm sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to give some background on, on what, yeah. what it's like the actual events. Yeah, exactly. So last year we sold out at 500 tickets and it was about three or four hours of whining and dining. So this year I thought, how do we bring that experience into our own homes? How can we be connected? Um, so what we did is we reached out to the participating restaurants and asked who would like to be involved in a video shoot. Uh, so we got seven restaurants that had the time and the energy 
to welcome us in. We did a 20-minute interview and did a tour of their kitchen and just checked in to see how things have been since COVID started. So you're basically making a film about about these restaurants and how how they've been doing. Yep. And so you as a participant will be able to watch these in your own home at your own pace. You'll also be able to enjoy a wine tasting, virtual wine tasting with Topa Mountain Winery and Majestic Oak, and then beer tasting with Ojai Valley Brewery. And it's fun. You can go pick up your wine and beer from the locations and then take them home and be able to have them on your screen as if you're there in person. And of course, we wanted to preserve a little bit of element of community. So October 25th at 5 p.m., we will also be doing a live event on Zoom where we'll come together and uh, get to experience celebrity chef Susan Tratch. Uh, She is Ojai's newest chef. She moved here about a year ago and cooks and owns a restaurant jar in LA. Oh my gosh. Well known, known, tasty, but oh my gosh, is she just so much fun. She knows. Yeah. You have to be that for a chef. Exactly. And she's, so she's going to be like a resident chef or resident uh, presenter at the farmhouse at the Ojai Valley Inn. Is it? Uh, Basically her connection. Yep. She came in with, oh, let's see here. Um, Nancy Silverton um, brought her in and has done a couple dinners there last year before everything shut down. And she fell in love with Ojai and bought a house and is already just giving back to the community. She, it's cute. She rides around on her bike in her neighborhood and sees these fruits and she'll stop and meet her neighbors and exchange ingredients. And that's how she comes up with her recipes. Just really? a bike around town. And just get a sense of the, whatever's in season and ripe and what might go well together and just always inventing and combining and mixing new, new flavors. Like food is art, but it's a very perishable art. And it's like part of the, experience of that art is coming together and how how will will that work how are you going to be able to simulate that that uh community sense of community that's a big part of the food experience yeah so you know having the zoom as a tool is so great i've seen so many people go from i'm not going to touch any computer, any cell phone to attending weekly meetings on Zoom. So my hope is that this has become a new town square, you might say. So we're going to jump on Zoom. We're all going to have our videos on and be able to dialogue back and forth. This won't just be a show. We'll be able to talk to Suzanne. We'll be able to talk to myself and Marty Berbeco, the MCs, um, and then check in with Rotary and our community. Um, so yeah. What's two way event? Yeah. Now, if we sell a bunch of tickets and I should say that I'm part of the Rotary club of Ojai and that I've helped with, you know, b- behind the scenes with Taste of Ojai in various capacities over the years. But how is it going to work if you've got, you know, several hundred people trying to get into one space on Zoom? I just, uh, I'm baffled by that. I don't, can, yeah. can you explain? 
Yeah. So what we can do in Zoom is, you know, it's, it is a lot, uh, you can't have as many side conversations. You can chat with people individually. So side conversations have become the new text messaging in a sense. Um, and then it's just, you know, keeping the conversation moving. People can raise their hand virtually or wave at the screen. And we have moderators behind the scenes just making sure that everybody gets a chance to chime in and communicate. Of course, maybe we won't hit all 500, but our goal is to make it a conversation. You know, not just something you throw on the TV and watch, but a place to be received and share. Um, and a lot of it is being present. It's like improv as much as we can plan it. It's a matter of who shows up and what you bring. Uh, it's the, it's the potluck in a sense. Yeah, I can see how that would work. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm really looking forward to it. Now this is a fundraiser for the Rotary Club of Ojai, but something new this year is that, uh, you know, for the restaurants, it's kind of a big lift to participate in Taste of Ojai because they either got to keep their their restaurant staffed while they almost always, the owners themselves, come out to the pop-ups and bring their food and their little flat tops and their coolers. And they do, you know, usually one or two restaurant items. But uh, it's not, and for nothing except for the goodwill of their community and our gratitude. But this year, the ticket is being split between the restaurants and the club. Is that right? Can you explain that just so I can understand it myself? I'm not exactly sure how that works, but it sounds, sounds like an opportunity to uh, help out the local restaurants as well as the great projects of the club. Yeah. So like you said this year, it didn't make sense for us to ask the restaurants to pour in as much time, energy, and material food into this as they are just recovering or figuring out their new yeah. way through this pandemic. So why not support them along the way? So 50% of the tickets will go directly to a restaurant um, as the ticket purchaser gets the choice of 11 different restaurants that wanted to participate. Um, so half of the ticket goes directly to the restaurant. That, that, they, choo- are- that they choose? Correct. We have about 11 different restaurants who wanted to participate um, all anything from your favorite breakfast spot to your romantic dinner. Um, We've got lots to choose from. And it was just so nice to be able to give back to people that have supported us for 20 years. Um, Especially an important part of the Ojai experience restaurants and Mm -hmm. and dining and, you know, that community, like we're talking about that comes together over food Restaurants are key, and they probably have suffered the brunt of this pandemic uh, really in Ojai, especially. Yeah, yeah. There's just, I mean, sitting with them during the filming and really seeing what they've had to go through. I mean, some of these restaurants, you know, their dining space has become extra storage for all of the to-go boxes that they have to now serve in, and the extra protocol and the extra cleaning supplies. Um, and coming up with really creative ways to meet the community that's going to keep everybody safe and healthy, but also still have some fun. I think that's what I noticed a lot of the restaurants are starting to focus on is how do we bring the life back, whether it's life in the restaurant or life in your home through to-go meals. 
um yeah so it's been really great to be able yeah. to support them most most restaurants were like wait the... you want us to give you yeah. what like no 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 we want to give you which is refreshing yeah that'll be different hopefully that'll build some loyalty for next year so the tickets are eighty dollars and so forty dollars goes to the restaurants the 40 goes to the rotary club uh educational foundation which is a 501c3 so i think that 40 dollars, and i'll probably get in trouble for saying this but i think that is fully tax deductible and of that at 80 bucks the half of it is because yeah. uh, the restaurants are getting the other half so so that's going to be uh you know help fund our projects typically we make you know between 20 and 30 thousand but i think last year we did some outrageous amount on taste of ohio it was yeah far and away our most successful do you remember last what year was yeah right right at or about so it was twice of what maybe a, a average event would yep. be of that we cleared and uh of that uh you know the 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 Education Foundation, our 501c3, is big. I think it's the largest in Ojai, maybe aside from like the endowments of the private schools. Yep, 4.5. $4 million. And then the draw, yeah. And then of that, uh, four, three, four percent goes um, as a draw to provide scholarships somewhere north of $100,000 of scholarships, including one which I believe because of the pandemic this year, we didn't give out the Ginger and John Wilson scholarship, which is a fully funded four-year, $20,000 a year scholarship, which is, you know, a life changer for the lucky student. The other scholarships are, you know, three, two, three, four thousand. I, I wish I had notes, but, um, you know, twenty. 25 students that get a little boost, a little vote of support, uh, you know, from their community. It's like they know that as they go out into the world that their yeah. community has skin in the game. It's just a big, big boost for them. So it's all wonderful, uh, you know, community projects and directly benefits not just the students, but also the community grants, which you know, can be amazing um, additions to so many of the, you know, Ohio's 190 501c3 organizations, of which maybe 50 or 60 are directly involved in like the social infrastructure of the community. So getting a three or $4,000 grant for a specific project makes all the difference in the world. And I can't go into, I don't have all the details, you know, in front of me, but if you know, of any of the specific projects. I probably can remember one or two, if not, just so. Yeah, gosh, that. let's see here. I know last year we gave out, I think it was at about 10 grants. Um, yeah, for 25, yeah, and I know we did dollars something like that. I remember Laundry Love was an interesting one. This was a project of a church who helps out homeless people and other 
you know, day laborers, people who are, you know, uh, really scraping to get by. <clears throat> and it's like a social event that every Saturday or Sunday, they get to the laundromat and we pay for them to do their laundry and maybe like a couple pizzas and it's become like a, you know, a social exercise. Obviously that, that isn't happening now and in the same way. But I remember one project I'll talk about briefly because I was involved with the Ohio Film Society <clears throat> some years ago before we lost the theater. But it was a very small grant. It was only $750. But the grant went to pay for a film editor who is a film uh, university film student to work with the high school students on the youth uh, film filmmakers competition. And it used to be you get like maybe 12 or 14 submissions for this, this contest. But when you had somebody, just one person who was only working part-time to help promote it and uh, help these students with any of the technological issues and to get them, you know, into Final Cut Pro or uh, I don't remember exactly what the other software was, but just to help them put these films together, it like tripled the amount of submissions. And these kids got to work with somebody who was maybe on a career path that they wanted to pursue. Somebody who was just almost a peer, just, just a little bit above them. But what was great about that was that there was money left over. There was like a $200 left over after tripling the number of films that went into this competition so they brought in like a screenwriter to do a 30-minute presentation and meet the kids film editor people who are actually working professionals to the nordoff students and you know give them like a 50 dollars stipend so this this ended up being basically a year-round project 750 dollars and that's the you know kind of thing that you look for that it has like these knock-on effects that really keeps those those kids focused on their future and and uh, lets them know that people care and that they want to um, you know give them a boost and that's that's you know that's how how it works that's why we do it so yeah. Uh, talk about the live auction because yeah. those are so always we've got fun. Two, we've got two versions of the auction. Uh, today, actually, our um, silent auction was launched. And I think there's about 20 items that people can bid on for the next uh, two weeks. It will close October 25th. And what you do is you sign up for a greater giving account and you see the page of 20 packages put together. You're able to place a one-time bid. You're also allowed to tell the computer, hey, I want to bid up to $1,000. So the computer will actually do the work for you. So if somebody else comes in and bids $500, the computer will put it in as $600. And then, you know, the bidding kind of happens and you'll get some emails that like, oh, we're getting close to your $1,000. Do you want to up your bid or not? And then yeah. for the live event, it's going to work fairly similar. We're going to do it through the Greater Giving platform, but we'll do it during our Zoom event, uh, October 25th. And that'll probably be... Who's the auction? I believe we've got the uh, wonderful Marty Babeko. Yes. Oh, my. He's a, 
He's a high energy fellow. So get your oh, get your yes. pocketbooks ready because he's going to make them very fun and great stuff. I'm looking at their uh, oh, woodworking class other, with who? Tara Sailor. <laughs> All right, Tara. Yeah, if people don't know, you are a, I don't know what, well, you call yourself a human multi-tool, which I think is awesome, but you teach teach woodworking, is that right? Oak Grove School, I teach high school, and then I do some uh, private lessons as well with some younger kids, which is so fun to see the kids get away from the screens and dive into working on projects. And I also let them dream up their projects. So it's really fun to see what they come up with from a skim board to um, a dollhouse. Um, I just had a five-year-old finish a a wooden car that actually rolls. Uh, It was pretty great. Oh my. With wooden wheels and wooden axles and pretty fun wow yeah that sounds great fun and then there's like uh you know food and wine packages they'll have alley in is giving away a staycation that's yeah. worth like a thousand dollars uh books and gym memberships and condo stays and mammoth and beautiful jewelry and i, I urge everyone to go to taste of Ojai dot com or oh. is it dot org taste of dot com yep is it both dot org and dot com yeah and then you can see all about this event and everything that's, that's uh, available for auction and you know we're hoping that this is going to be sort of a model going forward now are there any precedents for doing a virtual event with so much programming and you know music and cooking demonstrations and all where where did you where where did you do uh, so your research a lot of this is just coming together through my experience producing um live events and then growing up you know with tech at my fingertips i have worked a couple jobs that your team is throughout the country so you learn how to communicate and manage information utilizing our online interface. So really the heart of it still comes from live events, but I'm able to leverage tools that will help us um, come together virtually. But what I'm really excited for is my hope for next year is when we're able to meet in person to do a hybrid of the two. Um, You know, having a 500 person capacity at Topa Mountain Winery really limits the involvement. So if we're able to utilize what we're using this year along with the in-person i think we'll be able to go yeah especially the like the lot mm-hmm. like the auction be able to, to do that beforehand but what other components would you imagine you know virtual? i really love this film project we're doing with karen um she is um, yeah tell us about that karen of course, I'm forgetting her. I think it's hand-eye pictures. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Hand-eye So she does just incredible yeah. um, filming and it just creates this texture with her lens that really brings to life stories that I feel like I've even missed at Taste of Ohio. Like, they're, everybody's so busy. It's so nice to get this. The story yeah. in your living room to find out Mandala, their story of coming from India and having this 
you know, not knowing whether they were. Or coming from Tibet and crossing over on foot the Himalaya mountains to get away from, you know, yeah. the oppression of the of the Chinese taking over their government and, and meeting each other in Dharamsala and uh, getting to Ojai and becoming so involved in the community. It's really yeah, a touching story. Yeah, so now that's going to live forever yeah. in this video form. And they're short. They're just like five, ten minute videos that you're really able to embrace uh, one of Oh, it's not like one stitched together in one kind of no, we short just, feature yeah, we just or narrative we feature. Just little short features for each individual okay. restaurant that was able to participate. Oh, so, that's great! And then will they be able to use them? Yes. The restaurants be able to use them in their own uh, yep. promotion and online yep. marketing and stuff. That's that's another exactly. gift for them. That's that's what I love about this is it really is not just this big ask on the restaurants to give up a whole day and all the money and time to come out and do this event, which they're happy to do. And they've done a wonderful job, but now they're able to participate for their own benefit as like a reward for their 19 years of support. This 20th year, they're going to be supported and hopefully build a, relationships with, with new patrons and reinforced ones with old patrons. And I think we really need each other. It seems like this is a way to bring everybody mm, together. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm very impressed. So tell me about yourself because you are quite an intriguing person who has had a very young life, but has, has a lot of uh, packed, a lot of action packed into it. So you grew up in Ojai, and just so you know, full disclosure, I know your mom. I adore her. Sharis is one of my favorite people in Ojai. She's so sweet, and everybody feels the same way. So the fact that you turned out so awesome is not much nope. of a surprise, really. But uh, we're we're glad to have you back. So tell us what it was like uh, growing up yeah. in Ojai, and uh, that feeling of being a, a local product and kid. And yeah, so Ojai, of course, is. So very special to me. Um, I was adopted uh, when I was five months old. So coming to Ojai, I left LA and a lot of a lot of harm. So when knowing this growing up, I looked at Ojai as a gift. And what it was for me was my mom instilling me in the community, taking me out into the hiking trails, swimming in the creeks. Um, working on community projects. I think I've worked at the um, homeless shelter since I was maybe five years old. I remember we spent the night there once and it was for my birthday and we woke up in the morning and on the day of my birthday and I gave out these little animal cookies to each individual person and just remembering that warmth in that moment that each individual felt That is what Ojai is to me, is that exchange of connection, whether it's it's somebody going through something hard, you have people around you that sit there in presence, um, and it doesn't matter who you are. Um, And then, as I said, events here in town, whether it's a community potluck, the Film festival, the right storytelling workshop. Yeah, a tennis player. My first job was teaching um, tennis down at the Lower Libby tennis courts. Um, 
Oh, with Helen. Um, I so I didn't teach with Helen, but Helen was one of Stacey. my teachers, and then Rick Thompson. Uh, right, he started. Oh, I taught with him on Saturdays. I think I was in junior high, still going to Mitsulaha. I'd go out and teach my Saturday class and get my twenty dollars. You were teaching when you were in junior high. Yeah, I was. It was. I was wow. Picked up a tennis racket and was like, oh. I kind of like this and just took off and freshman year after playing only three years, went to wild tennis Academy, um, got amazing training there. I just, the mental stamina that I've been able to glean from the experience at wild and put it into anything that yeah. I do. From all over the world, a wild tennis Academy, uh, because it's a rigorous program for people who are serious about tennis, and they've got a lot of ranked pros that have come through that program. Exactly. So you went to Wild Academy, mm -hmm. and then I went to the Tennis Academy, what, what, and I and did also what? go to Nordoff. I feel like I got the balance between art and academics, and then also rigorous athletic training. Um, I. Did you play tennis I at Nordoff? I think I technically played for three years. And last time I checked, my senior class of 2004, we still hold the highest um, points um, for our, uh, or like the highest honors. I can't even remember what it's called, but our banner oh, is still put, up on but, the wall and yeah. nobody's beaten us. Uh, we were an incredible group of ladies that came together that year. Um, yeah, and then I, I went off on a wild adventure. You know, everybody needs to leave Ojai for a bit. And at, at that time, in 2004, 2005, it was, it was hard to be in Ojai and be young, to be in your 20s. Oh, I, I don't think it's changed all that much. I think mo most of the people who, you know, I think that's just wherever you're from when you're a kid, mm -hmm. you can't wait to get away. And it isn't until you've been gone and you get a little perspective that you start to see the fullness of your experience. And then you're like, oh, yep. man, I really had yep. it good. Did you, ha did you have did. a moment like that? You know, that? I didn't want to leave Ojai, but I also saw the importance. I was like, okay, 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 fine. I felt like my mom just kicked me out in a good way. She's a, with a loving little boot. Um, and I went on a great journey, Montana, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Minnesota. Um, got to experience life elsewhere. But what I, I just never felt the connection that I feel here in Ojai. Um, you know, I just didn't, the way of life wasn't quite the same anywhere else. And to have 30 years of deep roots with individuals, with a landscape, um, I came back and when I returned, it's funny, I had had this dream that. What was your last uh, gig before you The last came gig back to I was in living in Los Angeles and I was working for uh, guild, which is an experiential design company. Basically we would build out either, um, pop-up events for co corporations. So say m one of my favorite projects was working for American greetings for South by Southwest. We did a installation for oh, wow. the interactive portion. 
So we took at yeah, South by so Southwest. We took an old, Isn't that a total old, zoo? Yeah. Tell us about that because I've never gone. I meant to. We're supposed to do a road trip with some buddies of mine some years ago. Now I feel that it's gotten too big or too corporate. But uh, what? Tell, yeah, tell so us. I experience. don't think you're wrong. Um, you know, South by Southwest started out as kind of a smaller um, music. Um, festival and it was multiple days and particularly indie music uh alt country like the avid brothers exactly you know uh wilco and what's great about austin when it started what 20 years ago or something 25 what's great about austin is it's got all these little bars and all these great little venues so it's like the whole town just shuts down for the week and everybody is just enjoying music and walking around and socializing. Um, now, of course, many people come from all over the world, um, but it has gotten corporate. So it's gone past just the music portion. There's now like the interactive portion, which is just yeah, films, yeah, film portion. So it's, it is probably quadrupled in size. Um, so the portion I worked with was the interactive. So the concept is that you have education and a a physical environment that you get to interact with. Um, so we had like a little art exhibits that you were able to come in and draw on what we call this paper pulp sculpture, which was shredded old shredded American greetings cards made into this, um, just this really Mm. cool sculpture hung from the ceiling that you were able to draw on. And, you know, it was one of those, you add a little bit, the next person adds a little bit. And it's just at the end of the event, it was this really cool, colorful, funny, uh, heartwarming art piece that was made by thousands of people. Um, it was great. You should send me a photo. I'll post it up in the okay. in the notes for this. Yeah, I will this do that. Episode. It was that sounds really fun. How how tall? Gosh, how big that was it? piece. I think it was ten feet tall by fifteen feet wide. Um, yeah, it was. It was pretty extraordinary, and of course, it was built in LA, but to the specs of this building in Austin. Um, so he shipped it out there and installed it and it worked great. It was perfect. Um, wow. Yeah, it was fun. We had another really cool thing called a flip book. And what you do is you go and take like a 30 second video of you doing something. I did a little dance. Um, the video records and prints out little pictures of the video. And then you take the little stickies the printed out pictures and put them on cards. And then when you, you put them on this little spindle and you put the spindle in this little metal box and it has a crank on it. So then you crank it around and it makes this really cool, like noise and oh, you're watching yeah. your video. So the concept like through the flips, of, the, like yep. a flip movie. Yeah, exactly. So you create your own little flip video. Um, so it was, it was a way to take us from the digital and get us back into the paper and the tactile. Um, yeah. that was so really reverse, fun. like, uh, yeah, I see how that works. You go, 
go the other way, try to incorporate all those old, like the Victorian era flip movies where that was like a big entertainment, to, you know. Exactly. Especially for children. I remember that when I was a kid making making our own little flip movies. This is a thousand times more sophisticated, but same <laughs> same principle. Yeah. Yep. So why would you leave that job? That sounds great. Engages all different energies. And tell tell us about what what is your skill set? What do you what is it that you how how do you see yourself as as a useful person in a world? What are your what do you bring to the table? Um, I think those are two very important questions um, to answer about me. Um, I know we mentioned earlier, I labeled myself a human multi-tool. Um, part of the reason for that is I, I have so many talents and so many passions. It's hard to pinpoint what it is I do. Um, my favorite thing to do is organize. Since I was a child, I would sit in the dirt and start organizing the leaves and the rocks and the sticks and I would put things together. My first job, was professional job, was an interior designer, um, designing restaurants. Um, then my next job really? was wow. working for um, music and art festivals. Um, but those, that's when I became more tactile with my hands. Um, but then I went back into production. Again, organization. I love managing teams, pushing people forward, um, having kind of like playing soccer on a soccer field. You know, you really need everybody's skill level and what they bring to the table. And you've got that goal that you're focused on, kind of like the Taste of Ojai. Here we are, a team of about 25 people. Yeah, a lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts. Yeah. So that's, you know, there's that. And then I love woodworking and being physical. I'm a very active person myself. So sitting at a computer all day long isn't always conducive. So being able to get out there and either build an art installation myself or teach others to be able to build for themselves. Um, so the, the carpentry skills, is that did you learn those in the event production, cobbling together a, a stage or a yeah, a little booth bit, or a little bit of everything. The place, you know, I, I really picked up a hammer when I was three. I did woodworking at Matillaha in seventh and eighth grade. I did metal shop in ninth grade at Nordoff. Um, but then what really happened is during my college years, I went out to the Centennial Valley. Um, with um, John and Melody Taft from Ojai. They brought me out and we had purchased an abandoned town and flipped it. Uh, Yeah, you told us about this. Now Centennial Valley, it's in Montana. Yep, it's right near West Yellowstone. It used to actually be um, the first stop you would take after you got off the train from the East Coast. You'd get in a draw carriage and you would stop in Lakeview, Montana. And that was the only reason this town existed was to be an overnight for others to then take the draw carriage all the way into Yellowstone. So it's no longer part of the park, but it's just as beautiful. The land, these wide open spaces are stunning. Um, So John Taft and Melody Taft wanted to create this place to can carry on the education. So I helped build this town, uh, whether it was Uh, shaving logs or repairing the foundation. We actually picked up little cabins and moved them across the road. Wow, what an experience. It was an incredible experience. I spent six summers out there. Um, So that's really where 
you know, I learned how to drive a forklift and a tractor and, you know, that's where my base came from. And then from there, after becoming an interior designer, I was doing primarily CAD drawings and project management and again, needed to use my hands. So my next job was building um, a 30 foot caterpillar that is projected map on four sides and you can walk up to it and spin it um, and the projections change. And so I randomly built this as my first job after um, interior design. I moved into building art installations for festivals. Festivals. That's a interesting way to make a living because it's uh, a big production and then you got to take it all down and put the show on the road and go on to the next one and tell, tell us what, what kind of, what kind of life is that? What, what were you most grateful for about that? What were the challenges? Yeah. So I absolutely love event production. You have to be a very strong individual with a deep well of energy, of enthusiasm, and and patience. Patience. And, you know, some things just go wrong, and you just have to lean in and find the way to fix it. You have to MacGyver your way through everything. Um, at this point, I've worked for about four or five different organizations. Uh, the first one was working for EDC, Electric Daisy Carnival. Um, that's where we built the Caterpillar. And that one, I was involved more of just, um, we built the one art piece. And so what that looks like is going to Las Vegas And because it's so hot there during the summer, you flip your schedule. You go to work at 8 p.m. and you get done at 8 a.m. So you push through for four or five days to build the art installation. I remember on our last day, it was maybe uh, it was 9 or 10 a.m. And gates were going to open up in an hour. And it was like 110 degrees. You're on the hot hot asphalt and we could literally only come out of the shadows for like three four minutes at a time so we'd walk over to the lights wire one light and then come right back and be able and we have to sit in the shade for 10 minutes just to be able to go back out for three more minutes Uh, Um, you just you just push as hard as you can to get to that finish line um i've also worked for Coachella with Doolab, they build an incredible stage every year. Uh, you know, you've got these these really industrial stages that are kind of just these huge rectangles. Yeah. Um, the Doolab have just put it, this creative edge and eye to it that is incredible. Instead of just a box, you get this flowing structure that creates this internal... Uh, womb in a sense and the dj booth is up in a tree that looks like a ship so the dj is captaining this ship wow. that you're there in this Who, who's the dj was it Afrojack? <laughs> all the djs i think we have i mean it's a i don't know any i'm trying to remember names but it, so, steve aoki uh dj thing is kind of like i have to admit it's like a, i have to admit i am Building structures first, music second. I love music, but I am not somebody who's able to like pull names out of the hat. I wonder, is this like, what's the acoustics like on a set like that? Is it 
designed acoustically? Do you, yeah. like sound panels and um, you know fabrics the, and the fabrics really ha- help keep the sound in. Um, so a lot of this is like a flowing fabrics right above your head. Well, not right above, like forty feet above your head. Um, so the way that this structure is, is kind of like a U above your head. So music glides right over. But honestly, the way the bass is and how loud it is, it definitely penetrates through the um, stage itself. And the stage is not just like the stage you're looking at. It is above your head for hundreds of feet. You can fit Whoa. thousands of people under and in this like womb-like space. Ambient space. Exactly. Um, well, wow. how many stages are there at Coachella? I, I know it's a lot. Five main stages, I want to say. And then a couple yeah. smaller indoor stages and experiences. Um, and then you go to the Do Labs main festival, Lightning in a Bottle. Now that is my heart and soul. That is my you you become family with these uh with the people that put it on the production uh you go out a month beforehand and you build a basically a town for 30,000 people to come and enjoy for four days four or five days and it's not just 30,000 people 30,000 crazy then you got to be thinking about everything food and sanitation and you know, night and day, and the yep. wind and the weather, all of it. And where are people going to camp? Where are gonna, people going to eat? Where are they going to shower? How are they going to know to dispose of their their trash and their recycling? And and that's just part of it. And then you've got all of these experiences from learning about permaculture and perma- primitive skills to learning about world religions to learning uh, circus tricks and going to the wild, wild west and wow. going shopping and getting trinkets. And where is this? Um, so they've had to move a couple times through the seven years I've been involved. Um, recently, they actually moved um, just around the corner up in Taft. There's a really great event venue up there. But Taft, California, not. on the other side of the. Yep, just right over the mountains. Wow, uh, just on the other side of the Carrizo Plain. Yeah. One of my favorite places in California. But Taft, I think, is kind of a dry, dusty little former oil town that's just kind of hanging in there, sort of like in the Bakersfield city shed. Yeah. I, I don't know. But where where was it before then? Um, so before that, it was up near Atascadero. I was there for about four years and it's been really kind of hopping around trying to find the right venue. It's hard with these festivals because there's so many things that happen. Uh, you need to be able to make a lot of sound. The bass really shakes the ground. So I know up in the Tascadero, we had a lot of issues with the ground squirrels and not the, the, wildlife neighbors the eagles Hmm. the the birds because it's such a environmental sanctuary year-round where we were so to come in for those four or five days it really shook everything to the core and wasn't so good so this this place in taft fits really well you don't have neighbors close by you have a great little water uh little um reservoir that you can swim in great trees and 
great ambiance um, to support. That doesn't sound like the Taft I know. I know. I'll have to go check it out. You should. What's the name of the reservoir? Gosh, I'm probably not going to remember right now. Yeah. Just how far outside of Taft? No, it's in Taft. It's the Taft address. It's like right on the edge. Something. Mm. Mm. What time? What time of year is this it's lightning not, in a bottle festival? It's in May. Um, oh, okay, before it gets too scorching. Yep, exactly. Yeah, not like well, Coachella is also May, right? I think or, it's April. April, yep. uh, or would have been. Yep, exactly. Yeah, but again, that's uh, can be very, very hot. It can be very hot. Yeah. So my my year, you know, I would start going to Coachella, then we do lightning in a bottle. Um, then I would do some local festivals and then I would get ready to go to Burning Man. Um, so those were, that was kind of my yearly routine. Did you work, work in that Burning Man or were you with a, like a local entourage or, um, I, you there? I worked Burning Man. Um, um, so I helped set up a camp for about 150 people. Um, and I helped orchestrate and do some of the project management of that. And what, what is the project or the installation for that you work on at, so, at Burning Man? What we do is we kick it um, retirement style, and we call ourselves uh, Bliss Fitz Retirement Village. So we have shuffleboard and bocce ball, and we're basically a bunch of people that have worked really hard and want to come and enjoy Burning Man. So what we do is we create a great bar of... Uh, Bloody Marys and quesadillas during the day so we can all have a good family moment out front and then go out and enjoy Burning Man. Um, So we don't put as Uh, much effort into Burning Man as we do the other But to create a a chill, relaxing space away from all the hurly-burly, the circus atmosphere of Burning Man. Refuge from the gritty dust that I always hear about. Exactly. We have a dome. We bring in air conditioning and snacks and a full bar. I know where if I ever do get to Burning Man, I know where I'm going to hang out. Exactly. Come dive in the floor of dog pillows. It's the best experience. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, how fun. Because normally I think of Burning Man as another one of those festivals like South by Southwest that's maybe not become corporatized in the same way, but you know, the tech bros like to flash their uh, stash around and uh, you know, it's different than when it was just uh, a bunch of uh, artists and freaks getting together on the beach in San Francisco and even the first few years in the black rock desert. Now it's it's different. It is, you know, even our neighbors, we, they weren't quite, ingrained in the Burning Man ethos. So they created, I mean, it was an incredible space, but it was like a event venue that you would see like a, a, a nightclub. But then there was actual like guards and a don't come backstage, which it, you're not supposed to have at Burning Man. The point of Burning Man is to be completely open. But this had, they had yeah. their security guards bouncers and their, their little like teeny boppers bouncing around and you know they were just creating these walls and these structures that just weren't conducive and it was none other than uber and linkedin and you know it's 
it's it can be really frustrating. And sometimes yeah. they're bringing really beautiful, fun art pieces, but at the same time, you're really changing the culture. Yeah, I think when it gets, uh, you know, when the people go there to show off their resources rather than engage in the sharing and the participation, yeah, it gets to be like some kind of uh, uh, consumption. It's like the, you know, uh, uh, Thorsten Veblen, the, the mm. sociologist, of, you know, 100 plus years ago talked about conspicuous consumption. Mm-hmm. And it's still like that's an example. These people have done well. You know, they have all this investment capital and they're taking over the world and now they're just going to just show us what what they can do. So it becomes another form of competition and not participation, it feels like. So what do you think is going to happen with, you know, where do you, since you're deep in the festival world, I'm fascinated, like what, what, where do you see this? this going? It sounds like this lightning in a bottle is an example, has more of the spirit of what Burning Man used to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was really birthed from that same community. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting. It's been interesting watching the online discussions of, you know, when our events coming back, what are we going to do? What's, what's the future look like? And of course, none of us know, um, but it's all going to come down to testing and trust. Like even people are looking at, I guess there's, you can get a test COVID test and results in 15 minutes. So now they're having these private parties where everybody has to get tested on their way in. But like Bernie man, the line, you have 80,000 people coming together. The line to get in sometimes can take you 10 hours already. So a test on top of that, I'm just not sure. I think it's going to be a couple of years before we figure the next phase. Either vaccine, herd immunity, some combination of both. Exactly. I think combination of both. And in the end, I think it's just going to be what do the event producers, what are their values? What are their protocol? And then the ticket holder, when they buy that ticket, they're signing on the dotted line of this is what I'm agreeing to. And these are um, the issues that can come up that I will not press charges about. Um, so I see a lot yeah, of a release and hold harmless is what they call it. Yeah. That. I see a lot of event producers right now. There's two different camps, one that can't wait to get out there. And another that goes, I'm not going to be responsible for 80,000 people that one person with COVID comes in and wipes everybody out. Yeah. Super spreader. We've we've seen this. We have evidence of this. Exactly. So it's patience, you know, it's patience, patience, patience. Uh, Yeah. Now this, uh, like more, more locally. Now I remember, uh, the Pirates Fair, sort of yep. Renaissance Fair at yep. Lake Casitas. Were you around for that? I Were was. I had a couple then? years. Okay. You might be a little older than I think. I but So you did overlap with the Pirates Fair and all that. That was, that was so hokey and fun. But what, what if you were to produce a festival in Ohio? What would it, what would it look like if Tara Saylor invented oh. her own Ohio-based festival? There's, what I'm sure you've thought about it. Oh yeah, I have. A part of me doesn't want to say it though, but I will. So okay. 
Maybe. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah, well, right. probably not heard it here first, but well, you're hearing it here for probably for the first time, most of it. Yeah, I've held this one pretty close to my chest, in a sense. Uh, and what I would want to do is evolutionary play. Uh, what evolutionary mm. play would be based around, and why I love these festivals so much is you're able to really go out and experiment and experiment with yourself and your personality um, and where, what do you, what boundaries do you want to push? Where do you want to play? I truly believe that play keeps us healthy. I believe it's the core of evolving. I believe if you don't evolve and continue to grow, entropy sets in and you start dying. So I truly believe that as adults, we have to keep playing. So what I want to do is combine all our festivals and create um, evolutionary play. You walk downtown Libby Park and you be greeted by these experiences. You know, a lot of um, my upbringing here in Ojai gave me glimpses into a lot of uh, Joseph Campbell's work and the hero's journey. Um, oh man, I, I love him, Joseph Campbell. Yeah, so good. And um, another getting into the tarot cards if you get into the major arcana you've got the fool that is going on this evolutionary journal through the magician the high priestess the empress the emperor the hierophant those are the first five cards you go through in becoming in a tarot deck in a tarot deck and then you go into the lovers you decide you, you experience duality for the first time. So walking into this park, I want people to think about who they are, who they're coming to be and, you know, kind of go on to this journey. So whether that's like pulling from a, it's a weird remembering, but I went to the Holocaust museum and in the beginning you get Um, a person to follow and you get to know their story and you get to know what they've gone through and all along the way there's checkpoints and you get updated of how their story unfolded and oh it was the most I think I went in fourth grade and I remember it like yesterday and the power of really relating to this person to the self I would want to the life that they lived exactly I want to experience create that whether that's like honoring the people that are of ohi one thing i wonder you know we've got all of these greats of ohi krishnamurti annie basant um uh you know adlos huxley we've got all of these core people that had all of these places to put up their monuments their schools their you know leave their legacy and i'm curious who's leaving a legacy now um and how how do we get to experience those? So I think through Yeah, I have a few. I have a few names, but I'm not going to mention them. I'm sure. I'm I, sure. Uh, yeah, there's a few people out there uh, who are, who are, you know, going, going to be remembered in generations yeah. to come. Like Byron Katie might be a good example. Exactly. She's, and her husband, Stephen Mitchell, they've done a, they've put together, they packaged up a, a myth. Yeah. And I don't mean in the sense that it's false. I mean, in the way that people connect to it. Exactly. Yeah. So how but the, could but we the pl- bring play? How would be people? the playfulness? Like what? Yeah. What would, uh, when you say play evolution, play, like what would be some other booster experiences that might entertain people or give them 
give me some thought. So one thing I like doing is putting people in, you know, different places. So one of the classes I've taught on adult play was building an environment. And so what, um, what we chose, we were in Montana for this and we were up on a hilltop. So we decided to be birds and we needed to build a nest for our baby birds. So you go around in this area and you select uh, stigs and twigs and materials to wrap into a bird life-size, human-size bird's nest. Oh, my. Um, and then there's, of course, wine next door. So you grab a glass of wine and you sit in your built bird's nest. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And then, you know, going to the Taste of Ojai, I really enjoyed the Ojai Valley Brewery. Um, and getting, I've never heard about their brews and what how they make it. Oh, yeah. What Jeremy Hafner is doing yeah. with some of the... The herbs of the sages and back country smells and tastes of Ojai for swapping out the hops with all these local things. And some of them are, they're really good. I mean, you know, I'm not a, not as big IPA fan because a lot of them do have that kind of sharpness like IPA, but they're, oh my God, on a hot day, there's nothing better than one of those Ojai Valley brews. So imagine if you were able to maybe not make a beer that day, but make a scent or be able to craft, like take these ingredients from the land around us that people have brought in for the day um, to be able to work with it. You know, we learn about ethnobotany and um, everything that's around us, but to be able to experience it and create a recipe. So you know, having, Oh, wow. That'd be so fun. Right. You know, what's that quote? I'm just, I'm not sure if I remember it, but it's like, we don't, we don't st- stop playing because we grow old, we grow old because we stop playing. That's it. Have you heard that quote? Yeah. I can't remember who yeah. says that, but that's exactly it. Um, and as Stuart Brown talks a lot about this, he's a, one of my favorite, um, I guess he's a psychologist and he just studies play. Um, and he always also says, whatever you play as a child is kind of your root. And that is what you should look into as an older individual. Um, it's kind of your, your totem throughout life. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I like yeah. That. Well, what are you going to call it? Oh, you're going to call it evolutionary evolution play. Yep, evolutionary play. So I've decided, you know, with this human multi-tool of existence that I am, my umbrella of life is evolutionary play, and this will be the festival that comes out of it. Wow. Well, uh, we look forward to that. You've been very generous with your time. We'll wrap up now. But um, anything else? uh, Or where we get to get to? Oh, hi. Okay. Quote. Give me a quote. Quote. Of course, I just dropped it. Okay. This goes back to play. This is Stuart Brown. Uh, play allows us to embrace and even sculpt the contours of fates with an ironic humor and a sense of sharing in our common humanity. The lifelong player remembers this and can feel it even in the moments of grief, loss, and suffering. This view of life gives us strength and courage in the face of suffering and unfairness of the world. If we can continue to play together, we will always be able to find emotional closeness, always be able to find novelty and make discoveries, not only about 
those we love, but also about ourselves. Oh, wow. That's, that's gorgeous. And Getting so shivers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a great idea. So, um, tasteofohi.org yeah. for tickets. And there's all the information about the auction items on there. And encourage everybody to go look for some of those items. They're really amazing. There's something for everyone. It all goes to support a wonderful cause that's very dear to both of our hearts. Yeah. So, um, also, I will prevail upon you to just great references that you've made. If you can send me a few links, I'll put them up in the notes and people can check it out. All right. right. Thanks, Tara. We'll see you around the campus. All righty. Sounds great. As Ojai welcomes hundreds of new residents during the pandemic, these refugees from city life seeking the solace and community of a small town surrounded by astonishing natural beauty. I feel that those of us who have been here a long time have an obligation to inform these new residents about our community values. Now, we all have our own definition, but I would describe those as valuing artistic expression and open-heartedness and an appreciation and gratitude for all of life's bounties. All those values come together in Taste of Ojai. Again, please support this worthwhile community event. Sunday, October 25th at 5 p.m. Please go to tasteofohai.org. That's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.